0: You're listening to Lost in the Groove, a podcast that talks about life, what's going on in the world, and what we can do better, and how we can make a change. Let's go on with the intro music and start today's topic. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Lost in the Groove. Today we'll be talking about how the Beatles have affected modern society. To start, let's talk about the founding member of the Beatles. His name is John Lennon. So, John was born on October 9th, 1940. He grew up in Liverpool, England, which is a fisher's town in the north. Even as a young child, John really showed an interest in songwriting and by the time he was in his teens, he started his first band, The Quarrymen. John's life would soon change for the better on July 6, 1957, when he met Paul McCartney at the St. Peter's Walton's Parish Church in Liverpool, England, where John was playing at the time with The Quarrymen for a church-fedicum garden party. The two were a match. Not long afterwards... Paul introduced John to George Harrison, as well as Ringo Starr. And from there, the Beatles were born. They became close friends, and they would go on holidays together and hang out as mates. At the early start, they would perform at bar halls as well as small events. But it wasn't until the early 60s things really started to turn around for the better. They debuted their first LP album, Please Please Me, on the 22nd of March 1963 in the United Kingdom. It reached number 1 on the NME and Melody Maker charts. Even more than that, the album topped Record Retailer's LP charts for 30 weeks, which was an unprecedented achievement for a pop album at the time. It's crazy to think just a few years before there were a bunch of boys in a fisher's town in northern England would be such a smash hit success in a few years. An incredible achievement. Moving on to the following year in 1964, the Beatles had their very first world tour, which was huge. Being a band just a year before with a hit record, things were really starting to turn into what we call today the British Invasion. A fun fact to bring up in regards to the world tour, George Harrison said in Cavett in the early 70s that when they arrived in the U.S. on their world tour, they were shocked. They had no idea how famous they were outside of England. This was the world before the Internet, that even celebrities had no idea how famous they were. Getting back to the world tour, their world tour spanned into many different countries around the globe, including their home country, the United Kingdom. The part of the tour I want to touch base on is when they came to America, for the first time to screaming teenage girls while coming out of the plane. The Beatlemania craze was on a full-time high. So they arrived on the other side of the pond on the 4th of October, 1964. And not long afterward, on the 9th of October, they performed their first televised concert on the Ed Sullivan Show. And over 73 million Americans were viewing in a very large number. They really wore the British Invasion. So from there, they continue their tour, and on the 11th of February, 1964, the Beatles performed their, ver- their very first U.S. live concert at the Washington Coliseum in Washington, D.C. Isn't it so patriotic for a British band to play in the U.S. Capitol? But anyway, they, their tour continued the following day. So, they performed another live concert at the Carnegie Hall in New York City. Their first U.S. tour was not very long. So, before they left, they squeezed in one more performance on the Ed Sullivan Show for one last televised concert. Not long after that, on the 22nd of February, they were on their way back to the United Kingdom to continue their tour. They really did explode on the scene. With Beatlemania, The British Invasion, where we're we're at an all-time high. And continued all the way through 1965. By then, they had hit LP after LP. They made a movie by the name of A Hard Day's Night, which is now considered by most to be a classic. With all this fame and popularity, it didn't mean it didn't come with its share of problems. They may have looked happy from the outside, but on the inside, they were overworked and tired, and unfortunately, they relied heavily on pills to stay awake for concert after concert. You would think after 56 years, things would change, which they have. But this thing of celebrities in the entertainment world working until exhaustion hasn't changed very little. It's a sad thing to think about, but they're humans, and they suffer just as much as we do. But in this world, we need to change things bit by bit, and time will tell if things will actually change. So... Getting back to the 60s, something incredible happened besides the Beatles coming to America on August 28, 1964. After performing a show at the Forest Hills Tennis Stadium in Queens, New York, after they finished their show, they headed back to their hotel, the Hotel de Monaco. After arriving back to their hotel, they met with Bob Dylan and his mutual journalist friend, Al Aronowitz. The duo were the ones that introduced the Beatles to cannabis. Funny thing, Bob Dylan actually thought the Beatles were smoking cannabis already. This mistake came by because Bob Dylan misunderstood the lyrics of their song "I Want to Hold Your Hand," which he thought they were singing. And when I touch you, I get high, I get high. But the actual words the Beatles sang was "I can't hide." I can't hide. It was an easy mistake to make if you had heard the song before. So they go back to their hotel room with Bob Dylan and his, his buddy Al Aronowitz. Being Bob Dylan, he rolled the first joint, of course, and passed it to John Lennon, which, of course, he passed, passed it to Ringo. And Ringo, not knowing what to do with it, he called it a royal taster, thinking the whole joint was for him. So of course he smoked the whole damn joint. What a night! More joints were rolled, and before you know it, they were stoned to the bone, with Bob Dylan watching them in amusement. This is a this is crazy. I I remember the first time. I smoke cannabis, and I took took two hits, and I was in like for the ride of my life. But the Beatles, they can finish whole joints in a few hours and keep going. Maybe it's different up in northern England, or the air was different back then. Who bloody knows? This experience made them continuing the search for more of the green stuff. To the point, John Lennon said later on, the Beatles had gone beyond comprehension. We were smoking cannabis for breakfast. We were well into cannabis, and nobody could communicate with us. We were glazed eyes and giggling all the time. You might have guessed the sweet English boys from Liverpool were changing, and even more so was their music. The Beatles try to not let the, the fame and the money make them bigger than who they were, being that they are creators and dreamers as well as explorers. So besides meeting Bomb Dylan, they started this experimental, experimentational phase within their music. You can really start seeing this in their music when they released their LP album, Rubber Soul, which was released on December 3rd, 1965. The album did have many songs from the previous album, Help, which was a promotional album for their movie with the same name. As the album. But going back to Rubber Soul, there's one song that sticks out for me more than most, and that song was Norwegian Wood. In the lyrics, John sings, I once had a girl, or should I say, she had me. She showed me her room, isn't it good? Norwegian Wood. It was simple and short. I mean real short, but you could really paint a picture and understand quite well what John was singing. You can really start to understand the change the Beatles were after. They wanted music to touch the society, as well as make music more artistic. Change sometimes is, cool, is a cool thing to have, and is sometimes a new adventure waiting to happen just around the door. The Beatles continued this tradition of being more explorational with their music until they broke up. But getting back to the mid-60s, things were really turning a new leaf. And then taking a step back to the late 60s, they started to search for a bigger purpose, more than fame and money. And they wanted even something bigger than a higher power. Finding your true chi, you might say. But they took this a step further. So they started to look for a mentor. And they found it. His name was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Who is a leader of the transcendental meditation movement in Rishikesh, India. But it was there, and their association with the guru that resulted in a visit to the ashram in India on February of 1968 which became a major media event. Not only did the Beatles go to India for spiritual reawakening through meditation, but the trip proved to be one of their most creative, period. They wrote reportedly 48 songs, with most of the songs ending up on the White Tux of the Beatle albums, the White Album, which was released later that year. But, going back to their trip in India, they did plan on staying at the ashram for a three-month stay. However, it was unfortunately cut short in misconduct allegations against the Maharishi. John Lennon later said, we made a mistake there. He then added, we believe in meditation, but not the Maharishi and his scene. We thought he was something other than he was. Despite ending on a sour note, the visit was a culture invasion in the West with younger generations, which we were called hippies. They fell in love with the Indian clothes and their culture and among other things like yoga and meditation. Their trip to India was their creative boom and it helped them through the rest of their career cleansing the mind and taking a break can sometimes be so healing. Even though the trip to India was a success, the last 2 years the Beatles were together from 1969 to 1970 were really all of them. Not only as a band, but emotionally with each other. But they stuck through it until the very until the very end. Getting back to, getting back to the trip and when they returned from India, the Beatles did hit a creative peak. The White Album was around the corner, which was an incredible album, by the way. You should definitely, if you didn't, you should definitely take a listen. But like I mentioned, things personally between the four of them were not doing too well. The big problem was John and Paul McCartney. They weren't connecting like they used to, and according to Ringo Starr. Things got so heated between the two of them in the studio that George Harrison would just walk out. The crazy thing is, the following year, the Beatles would release Abbey Road, considered the best-selling Beatles album ever. But just because things look great on the outside doesn't mean that things were good on the inside. But by the following year, in the beginning of 1970 things started to get very heated when Paul McCartney had a self-interview on April 10th of 1970. Ambitious as he was, Paul McCartney openly said in the interview that the Beatles were indeed breaking up. Now, like I mentioned earlier, people did notice the heat, but they thought that they were going through hard times and they would be back to themselves in no time. But unfortunately, they were wrong. And after the interview, media outlets snagged at this and publicly published the Beatles were indeed breaking up. This caused even more separation between John and Paul to the point that John publicly voices opinion about Paul, which he never did. John said he can't have his own way, so he's causing chaos. Then John added, I put out four albums last year. And I didn't say a fucking word about quitting. Most people blame Yoko Ono for the breakup, but unfortunately that wasn't true. Funny thing, actually, Yoko kept telling John to keep things together for a little bit longer, until the right time would come along. As much as she tried and other close friends of John tried as well, by the year's end... Paul would file a lawsuit to dissolve the Beatles' partnership, a formal process that would eventually make the official-unofficial breakup that he announced in that interview on that day in 1970. As sad as this may sound and as troubling the problems they had, they made a great team and created an incredible music we know and love today because that's the most important thing. It's not that they failed as a team, because guess what? They were humans, and sometimes not everything lasts forever, like a Disney movie. The Beatles had a long career together, spanning from 1957 all the way to their breakup in 1970. Even though the band ended things, didn't mean that they were done in the music world. They went on to have an incredible solo career, uplifting beats to a whole movement around it. We can learn a lot from people, and that's who the Beatles were four guys from a Fisher's town called Liverpool in northern England. They were people that shared with us their passion in life, which was their music, and they did it in a personal way that you can actually hear it i always view celebrities not as famous people but as people that have touched so many lives this thing when a celebrity does something that is considered so bad in our eyes we get crazy and we question and we say what were they thinking well guess what they're humans and they made a mistake That gives us no right to judge them. The same thing applies to the Beatles. The reason they have affected modern society is they were ambitious people with a dream of creativity, and they went for it full on. And that's why they're so remembered. And taking it a step further, we all are the Beatles, meaning we all have the goals and passions we're after. And I say, go for it. Just like they took that leap of faith. Look what came out of it. This has been such a fun topic to talk about. Not only inspiring, but also uplifting. If you want to listen to more episodes of Lost in the Groove, you can listen on Tuesday, which is just me solo, or Friday with a special guest. Thanks again for listening. I hope you have a great day, and I'll catch you on the next one.